God is our Father. Christ is our life. The Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing our future inheritance. In light of that, we should desire to be responsive to God's word. I have a kettle here that we use at home to cook, and I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, and I still do it sometimes, I'll walk in the house and say, honey, what's for supper, lunch, or whatever, and sometimes, you know, you pick up the lid and just take a peek in. Scott, you want to come up here a second? Here's what you're having for lunch. Yeah, take a peek. Doesn't look real tasty. It's a little light, a little tough to chew. There's some we- a rock in there. There's some weeds, there's some grass, and so on. See, on the outside it may look good, but in, <clears throat> inside it may be different. There was a lady one time who gave strict instructions to her husband I'm going to go away and do not open this item. So the man's wife left and he thought, she told me not to open this, but I can't bear not opening it to see what's inside. So he kept restraining himself and restraining himself and finally said, I can't take this any longer. I have to know what's inside. So he opened up and there was a mouse. See, sometimes we can look good on the outside, but not so good on the inside. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7. Now begin reading with verse 1. And as we read this passage... Keep in mind that we're dealing with Christ. He's unique. He's the Son of God. He promised to baptize with the Holy Spirit. He's sensitive to God's Spirit. He was able to resist Satan. He proclaimed the good news. He healed people. He quieted and cast out demons and so on. So Christ is speaking, or not speaking, but the context deals with Christ. Mark 7 and verse 1. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were not, or that were unclean, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders, instead of eating their food with unclean hands? He replied, Isaiah was right about you when he prophesied about you hypocrites, as it is written. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, Honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. 
But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, whatever you might otherwise have received from me is Corbett. That is a gift devoted to God. Then you no longer let him do anything for his father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And you do many other things like that. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a man can make him unclean by going into him. Rather, it is what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, the disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull? He asked. Don't you see that nothing that enters a man from the outside can make him unclean? For it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach, and then out of his body. And saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on, what comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of men's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evil come from in. All these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. To get a feel for the passage, keep in mind that the 12 remain with Jesus and they're being trained to minister. Also get a feel for the passage in light of the contrast that is taking place we find at the end of chapter 6, Jesus is popular. People are coming to him. They want to be healed. In chapter 7, 1 through 5, we find that Jesus is not so popular. And the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law are coming to him and being somewhat hostile, finding fault with his followers. And it's interesting, too, that it seems to come out that Mark is writing to Gentiles because in verse 3, the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. He probably was writing to the Roman believers in Rome, a group of Gentile believers, and that's the reason for a little explanation about what the Jews would do. Jesus' confrontation with the Pharisees over the question of oral tradition doesn't really seem to have an obvious connection to the preceding context, but nevertheless, he is confronted. Tradition for the Jews, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, would take priority over the law. The Jewish oral laws at the end of the second century AD, it was said that tradition is a fence around the law. Tradition, as the Jews saw it, protected God's holy word and assisted his people in keeping it. Now, just to get an idea for what the Jews would do, this fencing around the law may have begun well enough 
But as the years passed, it produced some real absurdities. For example, in an effort to protect the Sabbath from being broken through inadvertent labor, the devout were given an amazing list of prohibitions. Fences, for example, looking in the mirror was forbidden because if you looked into the mirror on the Sabbath day and saw a gray hair, you might be tempted to pull it out and thus perform work on the Sabbath. You also could not wear your false teeth. If they fell out, you would have to pick them up and that would be working. In regard to a burden, you could not carry a handkerchief on the Sabbath, but you could wear a handkerchief. That man, if you were upstairs and wanted to take the handkerchief downstairs, you would have to tie it around your neck. Walk downstairs and untie it, then you could blow your nose downstairs. The rabbis debated about a man with a wooden leg. If his home caught in fire, could he carry his wooden leg out of the house on the Sabbath? One could split on the Sabbath, but you had to be careful where. If it landed on the dirt, or one could spit, I'm sorry, one could spit on the Sabbath, but you had to be careful where. If it landed on the dirt, you could scuffle it with your sandal, you would be cultivating the soil and thus performing work. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing. They were washing all the time. Before meals, they would pour a little water over their hands, elevating them slightly so the water would run down to the wrist. Then they would rub their hands together. Next, they would lower their hands and rinse them, allowing the water to run off their fingertips. That was just for meals. If they were returning from a place where they could be defiled, such as a marketplace, they went to greater extremes in washing. <clears throat> we also know that a huge legal complex developed over the matters of ritual purity. A rabbi once admitted <clears throat> washing his hands before eating bread, and he was excommunicated. It is also a rabbi who was suffering imprisonment under the Romans, nearly died because he used his ration of drinking water to ritually wash up. So we see a fence taking place. There's a diametrical opposition in this passage between Jesus and the Pharisees on the question of oral traditions. The Jews were concerned with foods, cleansing, and the essential meaning of morality, while Jesus was concerned about the heart. Tradition was a fence around the law, which they thought would protect the law. In this passage, we have the Pharisees, the religious leaders. They were outwardly religious, but they had hard hearts. Religious, but hard hearts. They were outsiders. In Mark chapter 2, <clears throat> verses 16 and 17, just listen as I read. If you want to follow, you can. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? They're observing but they had hard hearts. We have the teachers of the law, religious leaders. But again, they have hard 
hearts. And that is found in chapter 3, 22 through 30. Heart hearts. We have Jesus, the Son of God, who is new wine. He's a new wineskin. He's a new covenant. And he's the secret of the kingdom of God. And then we have the disciples, followers of Jesus in training. Real interesting characters involved in this passage. What is happening, the Pharisees and teachers of the law have come from Jerusalem. No, we're talking about some travel time involved. And they observe the disciples eating with unwashed hands or unclean hands or unwashed hands. So what is their question? Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with unwashed hands? Now, please keep in mind that what is taking place in the passage is not in violation of the Mosaic law. It's in violation of the traditions that the Pharisees and teachers of the law. Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders? Now, this isn't the first time that there's a problem with food. Go back to chapter 2 and verse 13. Chapter 2 and verse 13. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he was walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw a meeting with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? You know, he got in trouble earlier in Mark because he's eating with tax collectors and sinners. Again, involves food. In verses 18 through 22 of chapter 2. Now, John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, How is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Again, he's in trouble, and it involves food. Look at verse 23. One Sabbath, this is of chapter 2, one Sabbath Jesus was going through the grain fields, and his disciples walked along and began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful? on the Sabbath. Seems like over and over again, Jesus get into trouble in relation to food and meals and in this context, you know, eating with unwashed hands. Now notice the question back in Mark 7, in verse 5, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their foods or food with unclean hands? What was the intent underlying the question presented by the Pharisees and teachers of the law? Where were their hearts? What did they hope to accomplish? Was their tradition as binding 
as the Mosaic law. Arkant Yu says, and I quote, the Pharisees' commitment to ritual purity made them extreme pious, self-righteous, and goody-goody obnoxious. When they saw some of Jesus' disciples eating with ceremonially unwashed hands, they could not contain themselves and went on the attack. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with unclean hands? This was an official question from an official delegation from Jerusalem. They were theologically or theological hitmen sent to nail Jesus. I can see the contempt on their faces and hear the mock politeness with their question. In their questioning, they naturally assumed for themselves a superior position and were not ready for what they got in return as Jesus counterattacked. End of quote. And what is Jesus' counterattack, if you want to use that terminology? He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. That's pretty strong terminology. He's talking to teachers of the law and Pharisees. And what does he say? Isaiah was right about you when he prophesied about you hypocrites. That's like someone talking to a group of pastors and the pastors ask a question and the person responds, Isaiah was right about you when he prophesied about you hypocrite pastors. He's dealing with the religious people, the religious leaders. He said Isaiah was right. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. We'll discuss that in the future. In verse 8, you have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. And holding on to traditions, they let go of the Mosaic law. That's a pretty strong statement. You're hypocrites. <clears throat> Isaiah prophesied about people like you, and you've let go of the commands of God as you hold on to your traditions. He says in verse 9, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your traditions. I would pose a question in light of this passage to think about living today. What traditions do we have in Christian, the Christian community today that we attempt to impose on others to determine spirituality? What traditions do we have in Christianity today, in the Christian community today, that we attempt to impose on others to determine spirituality? And if Jesus were here, he might say, you hypocrites. Think about it. 
What traditions do we have? Anyone want to respond? Let me share a couple. You must read your Bible every day if you're going to be spiritual. Where does the Bible tell us to read it every day? It doesn't. It tells us to renew our mind. It tells us to think biblically, and I'm not opposed to reading the Bible. There's parts of the world that people don't even have a written copy of Scripture. So we can have a tradition. You must read your Bible every day if you're going to be spiritual. That's a tradition. Nothing wrong with reading the Bible, but if you must do it, then we get into trouble. How about another one? You must have a piano and an organ if you're going to worship. That's a tradition. It's not wrong. But it's a tradition. Because you can go parts of the world where there are no piano and organs. And how are you going to worship if you must have a piano and organ? Not wrong, but it's still a tradition. Another one the way we do offering, you know, we pass the offering plate around. That's a tradition. Maybe next Sunday, well, we're going to stand and we're going to sing and we'll say, if you have an offering, come to the front and put it in. You say, I wouldn't like that because if I don't have anything to put in, that doesn't look good. Well, maybe we'll start a new tradition. But you see, it's a tradition the way we receive our offering. That's not wrong, but it's a tradition. So we can put the offering plate at the door and say, put your offering in if you have some as you leave. You know, it's a tradition, and if we're not careful, we can make that more important than what God says. I grew up in a traditional or a tradition that emphasized clothing. The church I would have grown up in the first few years of my life, I would be considered a non believer because I have this suit on. I'm wearing a tie. No ties. Plus, if you were a man, you had to wear a plain suit. And a plain suit is it buttons up to the neck. That was a tradition. My mother had to wear a little white hat. It's called a covering. It had to be a certain way in the church that I grew up in. It had to have strings on it a certain length. That was a tradition, not taught in Scripture. There's all kinds of traditions that may not be wrong, but can kind of build a fence around what God does say. And in light of Scripture, and we'll build more on this next week, what is so dangerous about tradition in religion? Why does Jesus confront it so strongly? You hypocrites! He's talking to the religious leaders. You're hypocrites. 
As you look at the flow of the passage, it neglects the heart. So I got my plain suit on, I don't have a tie on, and I go to church, and I just get done beating my cows as I was milking them in the morning because they didn't cooperate. But I'm going to church. Proverbs talks about taking care of the life of your beast. Oh, I look fine on the outside, but what's on the inside? It attempts to control others. The church over there is not very spiritual because they use a guitar in their worship. Control. It measures by false standards. Jeremiah, you don't need to respond to this. Did you read your Bible yesterday? Did you read it yet today? And about the month before. If you didn't, you're really not very spiritual. That's measuring by a false standard. How about ignoring desire? Just ignoring desire. Oh, you've got to read your Bible every day. A better question is, do you desire to renew your mind to meditate on Scripture? Do you have a desire? But see, tradition ignores desire. It emphasizes duty. You know, just make sure you do that which is right. It ignores grace. Letting God's grace work in our life. Here's people, religious, they wash their hands. They're ignoring grace. You know, God giving what they don't deserve and grace to others. It neglects Christ as our life. Christ is our life, not a list of traditions. And it tends to lead or lean towards a works salvation. You know, if I do all these things, I'll be fine. Modern-day Pharisees live as follows. Just a couple examples. I read my Bible every day, but they have an unresolved relational issue. I say this kindly about Ruth Ann's mother. She would say, no Bible, no breakfast. Let's suppose you get your Bible and you get your breakfast and you go to bed at night having had a very heated argument. Dick and Martha had a very heated argument that wasn't resolved. They followed the tradition, no Bible, no breakfast, but went to bed with an unresolved conflict. Kept the tradition. And I'm not knocking Dick and Martha, by the way, but an unresolved conflict. I attend church every service but they complain about the government. Ah, I go to church, I'm there every time the doors are open. But on Monday morning, ah, Obama is roaring, just tearing them all the time. Modern day Pharisees. Keep their tradition. 
I'm not opposed to being at church every time the doors are open, but where I'm coming from is, where's the heart? I don't listen to wild music, whatever wild music is, but yet they watch movies with some immorality. Oh, I never listen to that music. But yet, you watch a TV program or a movie that implies immorality. I'm not saying it shows it. It's there. We have to have something for our children, but they don't teach their own children at home. Oh, we got to have an Iwana, we got to have a team, we got to have a Sunday school, we got to do this, we got to do that. Are you teaching your kids at home? Oh, the church is supposed to do that. Hypocrite. In light of our discussion this morning, is there something wrong when we claim we don't have to keep traditions, but there's little desire to pursue God's will? We're just shifting a little. People say, well, I don't have to keep traditions. Right? But is there a desire to pursue God's will? I don't have to read my Bible every day. Do you desire to renew your mind and act on it? Scripture talks about renewing the mind, bringing every thought into captivity, and so on. I don't have to attend every service. Do you have a passion to be with other believers? Oh, I don't have to attend every service. I'm free to do whatever I want. Well, do you have a desire to be with other believers? You know, we're again looking at the heart. The Pharisees were looking at the outside. I don't have to attend prayer meeting. Do you have a strong desire to pray with other believers? I don't have to give 10% of my income to the Lord or to the church. Are you content with your present circumstances or do you have to have whatever? So we're just addressing the heart in a little different way. We may keep the traditions, and we get into trouble, and we say, I want to be free from all traditions, but we're still in trouble if we don't address the heart. Jesus said, you're hypocrites. They weren't addressing the heart. As he says later on in the passage, what comes out of a man is what makes him unclean not what he takes in. Our traditions are different today than they were in Bible times in many respects, but we still struggle with them. My question, where's your heart? Where's your heart? following traditions or being concerned about the heart that is sensitive to Christ, sensitive to the Spirit of God and living and walking with Him. Will you stop and consider where you are?
one of the most difficult things for me to respond to in my life was when someone in love and grace didn't use this term, but it was strongly implied. Dan, you're a hypocrite. You do this outwardly, but there's something different coming out of your heart. I'm grateful for that individual because I can move from being a hypocrite to one who was sensitive to the Spirit of God as the Spirit of God began to change an area of hardness in my heart. How has God spoken to you this morning? Will you respond? Let's pray, pray together.